Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here for the start of another week. And I have to tell you, as far as weekends go that we've had in the last couple of weeks here, this was a very quiet one. Not much happening on the Bucks front. Uh, all their players that we uh, that had reportedly reached agreement with deals have basically come through and signed. Uh, I've been seeing some stuff on, on Instagram. These players are moving into Milwaukee. Tory Craig looks like he's got a nice little apartment with a nice view in Milwaukee there. But with that in mind, what we are going to do today is talk about some of the other contenders in the East because we haven't had a chance to do that because of everything that's been going on with the Bucks. So we're going to talk about the Sixers, the Heat, Boston, Toronto, all these other teams and quickly run through what they did in the offseason because we've always said this, that not only was it important that the Bucks continued to get better, but it was important to look at what the other teams did and hope that they weren't getting better at the same time. So uh, for any new listeners to the podcast, you can definitely follow me on Twitter at Kane Pittman. You can hear me on this podcast Monday to Friday and find my words over at ESPN and NBA.com as well. But joining me today, as he does basically every single Sunday, is the host of the Bucks Radio Network, Justin Garcia. What's going on, my friend? Yeah, a, a quiet weekend compared to what we've grown accustomed to. But uh, I mean, that, this was it that now we're what a day depending on when you're listening to this a day away from training camp starting and then nothing is going to be quiet again until hopefully july yeah it's quite unbelievable you sent me a text earlier this evening so uh we're recording this on sunday night the packers have just completely obliterated the bears uh we could make some mitch trubisky jokes but i I think we will carry on here uh you text me uh, we got an email, I guess, this morning from the Bucks that was just outlining training camp and the media availabilities that are going to be there, which is is really exciting for us. We get to talk to these guys again on a daily basis, albeit not in the normal format that we are used to. But thanks to the power of Zoom, we are going to be able to uh, talk to some of the new players and, and, and the old players as well, who, which, by the way, Giannis, I know that there's people out there. I, I haven't gone into this too deep, but I, I know that there is... Some people out there that are probably tracking a flight or something like that. But I do believe that Giannis, as we are uh, recording here, is on his way back to the U.S. And probably by the time most people are listening to this, will be in the U.S., which of course is going to heighten expectations for a, a potential extension to be signed. Now, I would imagine based on everything that we've seen from Giannis over the last few years, his willingness to meet up with uh, ownership and, and talk things through, I wouldn't expect that he's going to jump off the plane and sign a contract straight away. I would think that there would be some kind of meeting there. And of course, everyone will be reporting on the meeting and trying to figure out what is going on with Giannis in regards to his extension. But as you pointed out, with training camp literally starting in about 48 hours time, 
Uh, there isn't a lot of time for, for all this to happen, and we know he has until the 21st of December to sign the extension, but Giannis Watch is going to continue. Yeah, and I, I think neither of us uh, expected the extension to come this uh, offseason, which I know we've seen kind of this groundswell of more and more national guys saying, well, you know, what we're hearing is the Bucs uh, believe he's going to sign and that we're hearing there's a strong movement that Giannis is going to sign an extension to stay in Milwaukee. I mean, just for the obvious reasons in that, other than securing the bag now, there was really no – uh, gain for Giannis to do it yet opposed to a uh, next off season. But wouldn't it be something if it was, you know, 1155 on December 20th, we get the <laughs> announcement that comes in just under the radar that Giannis has agreed to an extension with the Bucks. Well, I will say this. I'm not sure whether there is uh, necessarily a lot to be gained. There certainly isn't, you know, financially, he, he's not going to gain or lose anything, whether he does it this off season or next, but it would ease a lot of the pressure on the team, I guess, and it would uh, ease the media speculation and the amount he's going to be asked about this. And the one thing I've always said for Giannis, if he signs the extension, he's going to get more money on that deal than he will get elsewhere. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to spend the whole time with the Bucks. Now, I know we don't want to think about that. And we assume that if he signs a five-year Supermax, then you're locking him in for another six years. But we've seen it before. Stars can force their way out via trade as well. Uh, but he would, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, be securing that money right now. Uh, again, as Frank always points this out, I mean, Giannis is the type of player and the type of talent that even if he had uh, some kind of serious injury, he's still going to get that Supermax offer next year. So I don't think that that is necessarily a concern, but perhaps just from a, a mental standpoint of not having this hover over him, but also the team and the pressure that might bring potentially as you move closer to a postseason and trying to win a title next year, it might be beneficial for all parties to get this done. But uh, like you said, there is certainly a feeling that, uh, I guess in the wider media, that it is going to be done. Certainly everything I've heard still from within the, the Bucks organization is a positive tone. I mean, there is still some positivity around Giannis potentially signing an extension, but uh, it's going to be one of those ones where I don't think we're going to know and we're just going to get that notification one way or the other. And, and you hope that it's saying that he's going to sign. And if not, you might just see that deadline tick over and nothing happens. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest uh, gain for Giannis would be not having to deal with answering those questions every single day yeah. this season over what are you doing. And especially, you know, um, when you factor in that it, at least until further notice – there's going to be nothing in person that uh, that was part mm -hmm. of what the Bucks sent us. And I had heard last week that there's no media that's going to be inside a Pfizer forum this year until further notice, which, you know, I don't think any of us can be very optimistic that that's going to change before sometime around March at, at, at best. So uh, the fact that it's all going to be virtual, I mean, you're literally going to have media from everywhere that you don't have to worry about sending the national reporter to Milwaukee for a three or four day stretch to cover the Bucks, And then he can get in his questions. Literally any member of the media can tap into these post game and these interview sessions. And he's going to get those questions from everywhere of, Hey, uh, why didn't you sign the extension? Or are you going to stay in Milwaukee? And what are your thoughts in the future? So uh, the good is avoiding that the bad. And I think you and I had talked about this before I brought up, look, uh, I think if you're a player like Giannis, and he would really be the most interesting uh, case study for this, the bad would be, look, if you sign the five-year extension, and uh, look, I think we, we both agree, uh, he should. We want him to do that. But uh, 
if you sign that, you're setting yourself up, if we look at it from the player's perspective, you're ultimately setting yourself up to be the bad guy. That what if this doesn't work out? You have to be the one that says, okay, this isn't working. You need to trade me, opposed to just doing a one plus one or a two plus one where you have a little more leeway and you have some more leverage. If you guarantee you commit to those five years and things start to go south, you're the bad guy when you ask to be moved. Now, I think, as, as I said, Giannis would be the ultimate case study here because of how beloved he is by the fan base. And part of me thinks the fan base would side with him and would see past that. But that's still something that you run the risk of when you, when you sign those longer-term deals is, okay, if things go south and I want to eject this situation, I'm going to look like the bad guy regardless of what happens and what the infrastructure is and, and how the team has evolved or devolved around me. I'm going to look like the bad guy for saying this isn't working. Get me out of here. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, we've seen it time and time again with superstar players around the league over the last you know, 15 to 20 years, and you can even go further if you really want to. It's almost impossible for a player to leave a franchise in this situation and not be the bad guy. And like you said, I mean, Giannis is so loved in Wisconsin and, and by Bucks fans right across the world that uh, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where – uh, he is the enemy, but having said that, uh, if he leaves the franchise, who knows uh, what terms that is going to come under and where he's going to head as well. I mean, I, I think that obviously counts uh, for a little bit here. It's interesting, you, the point you make about the media, though, and uh, listen, we know Greg Popovich called me selfish, so from my own selfish uh, point of view, I'm very thankful that uh, you know normally, under normal circumstances, I would be you know, stressing out, I'd be freaking out about the fact that uh, I'm in Australia and when the season is about to start, but nothing is really going to change. So not only are you going to have media members from across the US, you're going to have this guy from Australia jumping in on, on all these calls as well. But the point about questions that get thrown to Giannis is kind of interesting because you do notice that when you're in Milwaukee, uh, there is a very, very small group of media members that are the same people there. And it's not that we don't ask Giannis about the contract because we've all done it. But we also just understand very early in the piece that you're not going to get an answer. So when you have limited questions to be able to throw at a player, particularly of the caliber of Giannis, you just don't bother because you know he's not going to answer the question. That's not going to be the case in these Zoom calls when you have people coming in and throwing questions at him because we saw that in the postseason this year. It was happening before the Bucks were even eliminated. The media members, whether national guys or other beat writers from other teams, that's the question they're going to ask him. So it is going to become uh, even more of a storm if he doesn't sign the extension. Yeah, it's it's very uh, it, it's very much like a community to where you know it, it's basically what like in the in the old days. So uh, what nine months ago when we were actually <laughs> at practice and you know at shootarounds and doing some of this in person, it was for the most part what would you say five people that were you pretty much there every single day, and then you had probably five or so others that cycled in and out and whenever somebody national or somebody else outside of that group was there everybody would take notice of wow you see who's here today yeah and uh, we would all kind of roll our eyes too with some of the questions that would come up especially uh, I, I go back to I think you and I talked about this the first year that Bud was here when a couple of months into the season when more and more national guys would come around and they would start to ask him like boy Brooke Lopez is really shooting a lot we're like <laughs> come on man we've gone over this for the last two months here and now you're bringing this up so uh, yeah, like you, you tend to notice that stuff. It's like when a new 
percent of the normal beat that we're used to that comes in here and takes up time with some of these questions that are already asked uh, well in advance. But yeah, and I think the you know obviously the advantage that you and Matt and uh, Eric have and everybody else that's that's there on a regular basis is it's not that you don't ask them or that you don't ask tough questions, but you already know the answer that you're going to get where, look, there are some things where you know the answer you're going to get, but you just have to ask it anyway, just so you can say we asked and he chose not to answer it. But the more you're around the guys and the more you, you basically see how they tick and you know the type of responses you're going to get, you know what paths to go down and what to avoid. And you start to settle into this nice routine and then every what month, every six <laughs> weeks or so, whenever somebody else comes around to write a feature story or do some other type of story on this team or an individual player that gets disrupted. Absolutely. And uh, before we do move on to the yellow teams around the East, I just want to quickly talk about our friends at Built Bar, uh, the new and improved Built Bar. Hopefully you guys cashed in on the Black Friday deal that we had but they still have the 18 amazing flavors that we, uh, we now love. I, I could say six new flavors, but they've been around for a few months now. I'm sure everyone is all over them. Cookies and cream, carrot cake, apple almond crisp as well, and then the originals with peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, among others. Uh, Built Bars are great. For the health-conscious guy, you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat because they are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Uh, the deal we have for you guys... It's a beauty. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at builtbar.com. Coming up on Locked On Bucks this week, uh, we're going to find out a bit more about the rookies. We've spoke about them. Jordan Wara and Sam Merrill as well, uh, both signed, both going to be with the team this year. We predicted that was going to be the case uh, given uh, the roster situation and the salary cap situation the Bucks are in. But we're going to talk more about the rookies. And of course, we're going to continue to be on Giannis Watch. And if there is any type of movement with that situation, there will be the quickest published emergency podcast you've ever seen in your life regarding that signing. But Justin, it's time to move on to the other teams in the East and discuss what they've done and where that places them uh, among the contenders in the East because it, I certainly raised my eyebrows when the Bucks uh, were listed as the favorites in the East to get to the NBA Finals. Now, admittedly, that was coming off the back of the postseason and perhaps there was a little bit of uh, skepticism around that team and what they were going to be able to do. Now I look at the East and I can kind of see it. I know it hasn't been perfect and we've been through all the ways that this offseason largely has been a little bit messy from the Bucs, to say the least, I guess you could say. But uh, overall, uh, upgrading Drew Holiday and bringing him into the lineup uh, at the expense of, of Eric Bledsoe, I think I feel a little bit better about the Bucks being at the top of the tree right now, as it stands on paper, uh, especially given the fact that I didn't see any huge moves from these other teams in the East, but was there one team in particular that stood out for you? Well, I think that's the thing for me is that I almost feel like Brooklyn you have to throw out of the mix because we it still largely hinges on what Kevin Durant is going to look like coming back from that injury and uh, what version of Kyrie Irving you're going to get. And those are some big ifs for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, if that gels, then Brooklyn's in the discussion. But uh, when you look at teams like Miami 
and Boston, and you know, I guess you'll throw Toronto in there. Uh, they didn't really do anything to improve themselves, at least drastically, where if nothing else, they basically maintained and stayed the same. The one team I would look to is Philadelphia, just because of we've already seen them add some shooting, and I think they upgraded coaching. No offense to your guy. Uh, Brett Brown there, but they did upgrade the coaching spot. They added some shooting and you know, Daryl Morey is just going to continue to make moves on the fringe and continue to do things to tinker with that roster. And look for everybody that says it doesn't work with Embiid and Simmons. And I was certainly, if not fully in that camp, I was leaning towards that at various points the last year, especially I do think you at least have to give it a shot under Doc now and see, okay, new coach, let's see if he can get it to work. And, you know, we're also quick to forget it did kind of work two years ago. It just – last year's roster and the way that team was built just made absolutely no sense. So now assuming Daryl Morey does some things to improve that group and you have a better coach, that would be the team I point to the most that says, you know – we thought they were going to be kind of the giant team in the East last year. I mean, that's kind of the team I'm afraid of now in the East if I'm the Bucs. Well, firstly, Brett Brown. I mean, he pulled the pin on coaching the Australian national team for the uh, Olympics whenever they're going to happen. So I- I'm out on him. Great guy. Uh, always enjoy talking to him. But th- listen, he ditched Australia for his career. And and so uh, there's, there's no defense needed of Brett Brown on this podcast. But the interesting signing, and you, you touched on it, you, had, you talked about the shooting. The Sixers, we've always said that they were going to be a threat if they could just figure it out and get some front office competency. So they've done that, I think, with Daryl Morey and, and Doc Rivers again, as you pointed to. Um, listen, I mean, we've spoke that he's a relationship guy. He's a stabilizer. I think he's going to stabilize the franchise. But I was looking at some, uh, some numbers around Seth Curry on the weekend. I wrote a story about how I think he can help Ben Simmons. And... Seth Curry last year was one of only uh, there was one of only five players that shot over forty two percent from three that had greater than three hundred attempts from the outside. Uh, so he he obviously is an elite shooter. Shot nearly forty five percent from three last season. But the thing I, I love about this matchup, if you're a Sixers fan, is that Seth Curry was forty eight percent on catch and shoot threes last year. Yeah. And he's going to find them from Ben Simmons. There was only two other players in the league that uh, that accumulated more assists on three-point shots last year, and that was LeBron James and Luka Doncic. But uh, the percentage of of assists to three-pointers was higher for Ben Simmons. 50% almost cut directly in half of his assists came to three-pointers, and that was on a roster that was filled with reluctant shooters and guys that um, were below-average shooters. So now that's why we saw a guy like Furkan Korkmaz became such an important player for them. So he's still there. He'll come off the bench. He'll be a valuable scoring option for them. But I, I think Seth Curry is just a, it's a huge addition for the Sixers and replacing him with Josh Richardson. You lose a little bit of defense. This team can afford to do that. But adding an elite shooter like that, uh, that could be enough to, to make this team more of a, uh, more well-balanced and more of a threat. Yeah, he was the guy for me in that he's the guy, and we've seen it firsthand with the Bucks that he's the guy, he's kind of one of those pesky guys that you really hate to go against, and he yeah. always has the ability to detonate, and you look up and you think, we were winning by seven, how the heck are we trailing by 12? And then you see, oh, Seth Curry hit four threes in that quarter and uh, just caught fire. So, I mean, between he and, you know, look, I, I understand his best years are behind him, but I also think 
Danny Green is not the guy that we saw in the finals, especially uh, late in the finals where he's much maligned over some of the shots he didn't take and some of the misses that he had where, you know, is Danny Green the guy that he was in those Spurs runs? Absolutely not. And he's, he's not even the guy he was when he was starting for the Raptors two years ago, but he's still a very useful guy that's going to help your perimeter defense and he can still shoot. Um, so I think both of those, but especially the Seth Curry one, like all the moves that, that get mentioned in the Eastern Conference, um, that's one that seems like it's, it's kind of under the radar where we're going to look back and, and think, man, I can't believe – how did none of us call more attention to this? And, wow, they gave up uh, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, and that's, that's going to end up being a trade that we say, man, Philadelphia won this deal. Look, one of those trades I think that for both sides works out really well. I love it for Dallas as well, no doubt about it. They needed some help on the wings. But yeah, I mean, now you just get to a situation with Philadelphia where you can envisage a closing lineup of uh, Seth Curry, uh, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid because you know that Ben Simmons can guard one through four. So you're not worried about uh, losing a little bit of of size there or not having a traditional four. You don't really need it for defensive purposes, but you have... Simmons and and Embiid on the floor, but then you can space them out. Tobias Harris, we know. I mean, he's not an elite shooter. Sometimes he's not uh, as aggressive as he should be offensively looking for his shot, but I think now that he will take uh, a more emphasized role in the offense, with uh, even just with guys like Richardson and Al Horford not there, and then you have two shooters in Danny Green and Seth Curry. So I just think the balance is there. So the Sixers, for mine, are certainly a team to watch. The chemistry is going to be something that needs to be fixed. I mean, the fact that they were so atrocious on the road last year, I think the Atlanta Hawks were the only team that had a worse road record than the Sixers. I mean, you you can't... That's not necessarily the on-court chemistry because we saw them play well at home. So that was something in the locker room. There was something wrong there. Maybe the change of Doc Rivers helps that, but we'll have to wait and see. And that's why the question mark still lingers on uh, on the sixes but as far as other teams Toronto again look I think they took a step back they lost to Barker and Marc Gasol uh, they got my guy Aaron Baines in there I think he's he's a fine addition but they're a super small team now uh, Toronto we know that they're eyeing off next offseason as well and potentially Giannis but Toronto I think it's fair to say will probably take a, a bit of a step back here and then Miami is is really interesting as well we know that they signed uh, Bam Adebayo to this five-year extension. And as I pointed out on the podcast last week, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are out of the race for Giannis. They will be able to figure it out if Giannis decides that he wants to go there. Uh, but Miami, for me, are hard to read. They lost Jay Crowder, who was such a, a critical uh, part of their playoff success. I mean, not to open up old wounds here, but without Jay Crowder, there's a chance they don't even win that series against the Bucks, which is just incredible to think about. The guy just shut the absolute lights out in big moments as well. So Miami, for me, and Toronto, two teams that were right at the pointy end last year, are really hard to get a read on. And, and I kind of feel like they've both gotten worse, and I, I think that they're both going to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, and, you know, um, uh, one last quick thing on Philadelphia, too. I mean, also defensively, can you imagine a lineup where you swap out Seth Curry for Matisse Tybal, where they're yeah. just going all defense? And uh, who's going to be the guy on that roster that Doc Rivers, just like we saw with Big Baby and other guys in L.A., who's going to be the guy that you know they should not be playing this guy and Doc just falls in love with him and puts him out there where you think, these what is Doc doing right now? So we know that's going to happen at some point with Philly. So I guess that's what you're hoping for happens too much if you're the Bucs. Um, 
in the case of Toronto, I mean, I think we all kind of envisioned that Fred Van Vliet was going to be back. You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago where, I mean, we thought at the time Fred Van Vliet might be the top guy on the market, and I was stunned by how much money was thrown around this offseason. But ultimately, you knew Toronto probably had a walkaway figure. And, I mean, you can still debate whether or not you'd rather pay that type of money to a guy like Malcolm Brogdon or Fred Van Vliet, but I think that was probably the max for Toronto. So they kept him. They gave Chris Boucher a, a pretty nice pay hike too. Uh, I, I mean, I'm with you. They're not going to be the two seed, but just because of the amount of respect I have for uh, Nick Nurse and they still have, you know, that same DNA and the same core of guys, although it's taken a hit now the last two years, I don't envision them dropping lower than at fifth at worst in the Eastern Conference. Miami's interesting to me because, you know, the Crowder thing is, is interesting because of how key he was seemingly in that Buck series alone where Jay Crowder with Memphis, I think he shot under 30% from three before joining the Heat. And then against the Bucks in that series alone, he shot almost 50% from three. If you take out his playoff, you take out the series against the Bucks, he shot only 27% from three in the playoffs last year. So he feasted on the uh, open looks that they created against the Bucks. Jay Crowder's a serviceable guy. He's a fine player, but he's not what we saw against Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, good for him to get the three-year deal. I wonder how that deal is going to look in a year with the Suns. But still, the thing I come back to with Miami is I understand saying, look, we're going to be players in 2021. I just wonder if Miami's the team I come back to the most, but if there's a handful of teams – that are going to regret not making a harder move for somebody this offseason rather than standing pat, like Gordon Hayward. And look, you can debate how good Gordon Hayward is anymore and um, the type of player that he's going to be going forward. But Gordon Hayward works in Miami. If you put him back there uh, playing next to Jimmy Butler, where it's kind of the same role he would have been in in Boston, but Gordon Hayward gives them more offensive versatility and flexibility where look what happens if Giannis signs that extension in a week or in two weeks and Giannis just commits to Milwaukee which again we hope happens but what happens if that happens and you're one of these handful of teams that said we're not doing anything we're waiting for 2021 yes you have this money left over to, and it's still a great class next year but I wonder if a guy like Gordon Hayward could have helped you now and look even if you get to next summer and even if it's not Giannis, whoever it is, the free agent says, I want to come to Miami and I want to play for you. Whoever that guy is, whatever his current team is, I mean, Gordon Hayward or anybody else on your roster has value to that team because it's one thing to say he didn't sign the extension, we're going to trade him, versus he has already told you, I want to play for this team and I'm leaving. I'll take less money even if it means that, where you know he's gone. So now it's a definite we're getting nothing for him you could still do a sign and trade where he's part of that, that I just wonder, are there going to be a team like Miami or somebody else that says, you know, we, we didn't get anything now. Maybe we should have pursued somebody else in that summer or in this case, in that fall. Listen to Locked On NBA on Mondays. Josh Lloyd, host of our widely popular Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, takes you around the NBA's major headlines with the help of our local experts, including me today 
on uh, the, this week's show. I was on there talking a little bit of bucks. Subscribe to Locked On NBA Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I, I do. I want to move on to Boston here, Justin, but. Uh, just to to wrap up some of the points you made about Miami, it will be fascinating to see. Uh, and I have heard that, that maybe they should have gone a bit harder. But I just don't think that you waste the opportunity here to get Giannis. So certainly, could they have been better in 2021? Uh, yes, probably. Toronto is certainly the same. But I think you've got to leave the door open for a generational player like Giannis. And we'll wait and see how it plays out. I, I totally agree that both of those teams with Spolster and Nick Nurse are going to be competitive and they're going to be difficult. But do I think that, do, like, do I come into this season, even though the Bucs just lost to Miami, do I come into uh, this season and think, geez, I just don't know if the Bucs could beat those teams? Not really. They haven't, they, they don't stand out to me as teams that should be championship level contending teams in the NBA. And for Miami, I, I think, yes, they, they, they might be getting development from Bam Adebayo, who should continue to get better, and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robertson, these players. But I also just feel that it was the perfect storm in the bubble for that run for those guys. Jimmy Butler was healthy as well. Uh, we know he's had some some health concerns in the past and he's getting older. And also, uh, Goran Dragic just had an incredible run in the bubble and turned back the clock a few years and played some incredible basketball. He's well into his 30s now. So would they be able to get the same level of play from him? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, again, I expect both Toronto and Miami to be good. But are they going to be up to championship level? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. But probably along with Philadelphia, and yes, there's a bit of a, a question mark over the Brooklyn Nets right now, but if you get Durant that we know, then yes, they're going to be the other contender. But the fourth team that I would throw in there with Milwaukee is Boston. Now, you mentioned Gordon Haywood, and you know, we found out some details to that uh, trade, which it has become a trade uh, with the Charlotte Hornets, and it looks like the Celtics are going to get a $27 million trade exception, which is the biggest in highest history. Highest in NBA history. Yeah. yeah, I think I saw Bobby Marks say that was the highest amount for a trade exception in, in NBA history. So what does that mean? I mean, we don't know, but this now gives the Celtics room to add a player uh, with that trade exception there. Uh, for example, we saw Golden State Warriors last week had a sizable trade exception from the Andre Iguodala a trade to Memphis, I believe it was. And they were able to say, oh, we've lost Clay Thompson to an Achilles injury. Let's go get Kelly Oubre. And yes, that does mean that and the Celtics would be in the same boat here. You would be probably paying a, a bit of a, a hefty tax bill. Not that, <laughs> not that the, uh, the, the Warriors really mind about that. I, I don't know what the salary cap situation with the Celtics there. But it does give them an avenue to add a player. And this will be something to watch throughout these contending teams. Brooklyn in particular are a team that has plenty of tradable salaries, whether it is Karis LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie. We know that those are guys that they're open to moving. So there could be additions to the teams. But Boston, I think, did well to add Tristan Thompson. I know he's not the modern center, but he is another big body. They needed someone alongside Daniel Tice. And when you've got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown uh, on your same team, still so young and still growing, the Celtics still, to me, uh, are a real threat. Yeah. um, I mean, they just had absolutely nothing outside of Daniel Tice, who I, I like quite a bit, and I like him more than Tristan Thompson for this team, but they needed somebody else, and Tristan Thompson can fill that void for him. The, I mean, the Gordon Hayward loss, is, as much as I just wax poetic about him, I mean, it, it's not a huge loss, I don't think, for Boston. The biggest loss for you is that you had a guy walk away for nothing, that 
you, you would much rather have done something. Now you did get the 27 million trade exception. So I guess technically it's not nothing, but in terms of assets that can help you immediately, you got nothing in exchange for Gordon Hayward. So um, it doesn't hurt them though, in the sense that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had already moved past him. And, you know, we had seen the injuries and everything else with Gordon the last few years that it's not like he was the guy that was driving the offense. Now, it's interesting in that what it's next year, right? That Jason Tatum is up for the extension. So you figure they're, they're going to invest a lot of money in him. That trade exception, it's almost too much when you think about it, where, you know, now that I say this, something crazy is going to end up happening, but <laughs> what's, what's the deal where you're going to, you're going to flip a $27 million trade exception for something. Now I, I know you can, it doesn't have to be $27 million that you have up to that, that you can use. Um, but it does make things interesting in that, look, we know a guy like James Harden has said he wants to go to Brooklyn. I mean, if you're Boston, you have $27 free million free that you can use there and include something else and give it back to Houston and say, look, with the trade exception and with this player, uh, you're going to save a lot of money, which I think would be very appealing to Tillman Fertitta. So that's something I think we at least have to keep on our radar if that stays as is. Um, but I think Boston is probably going to be uh, at least in the top three. I mean, if not the second or best record in the Eastern Conference this year, just because you expect more growth from Tatum and uh, from Jalen Brown as well. The $27 million one I keep coming back to where that's going to make Boston very, very dangerous once we get to the trade deadline and you look at contracts out there and who – is starting to get shopped and who could be moved where either Boston can make this huge move that puts them over the top or with that $27 million trade exception, we're going to say, man, think of the guy that Boston could almost trade for now in the Danny Ainge motif and say, man, they almost got that guy too with that $27 million trade exception. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Boston fared this year because, you know, Gordon Haywood actually, uh, particularly just before uh, the bubble uh, or the season shut down. He was playing some fantastic basketball. And we saw at times during the postseason that they really needed him and they needed his playmaking ability. Uh, and and he was kind of critical for them, particularly through the series with Toronto in stretches there. So Boston, again, look, I say that they're a threat because I do expect Jason Tatum is going to continue to get better and Jalen Brown. And defensively, they are very, very good. Although it must be noted that Tatum has had some awful games against the Bucs in yeah. the past. He has not been able to figure out the Bucs defense. He hasn't been able to knock down shots. So again, the Celtics aren't a team that I feel like I look at and I'm terrified of, but yeah. I do expect they're going to be at the pointy end. So if we look at it as it currently... Well, and, well let me ask you one last thing about Boston too, which it might be the most interesting thing about him to me. Now, look, I understand that uh, money talks loudest here, and ultimately these two guys found teams that were willing to give them more. But two years in a row now, we've seen two players that I think the majority of us thought with the player option, eh, there's a pretty slim chance either of these two guys opts out in Al Horford and Gordon Hayward, and they both opted out and went elsewhere. And how much of that is just – how much do you think there's this underlying – uneasiness and you know especially now when you start to hear more and more of uh, a few other people putting out there in reports of you know the Celtics have started to shop Kemba Walker and if they could find the right deal they would certainly do some other things upgrade there where I mean that's something players take note of of you saw what happened with Isaiah Thomas you saw what happened 
potentially if you hear Kemba Walker's name come up in moves where you start to think, I mean, yeah, it's, it's great here now, but we've seen with Danny Ainge, he's looking upgrade at, at all costs here and he will move on from you a year later that I wonder how much of that sticks with guys at two years in a row now, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think anybody thought Gordon Hayward was going to opt out of $34 million. Granted, the money that he got from Charlotte, you have to. But still, the majority of us didn't really see that coming two summers in a row. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Kemba Walker because we haven't really mentioned him here. But of course, he was a huge acquisition at the time and we thought was going to boost their uh, their caliber of play in the postseason. Obviously, a great pick-and-roll guard, a deadly shooter. But if Kemba Walker, forget the fact if they're going to trade him, but if his body isn't up to the rigors of NBA anymore and he's going to continue to have problems with his knees, then that significantly lowers the ceiling for the Celtics yeah. as well. But I do think there is something to that. I think players, as you said, do take note of that. And it's, it's quite obvious that the Celtics are not a destination that, that players really want to go to anymore. I mean, they have got Gordon Hayward. He was obviously a big signing at the time, and Kyrie Irving as well, but he didn't last very long. So even the guys that have gone there haven't stuck around for a long time. I'm not really sure why that would be the case. Obviously, a famous franchise and had a lot of success and, and should be on the brink of having more success. But it is interesting to see how Danny Ainge has used these assets and what, what he has done with the money available there in Boston, because to this point, uh, he hasn't really been able to get them over the hump. As, if, as far as the Celtics go, reaching the conference finals typically is not even a really successful uh, season for, for that franchise. But coming into this year now, uh, just as we wrap this up, I've got Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Miami, and Toronto as locks for the playoffs. Now that's six teams right there. I would probably throw Indiana in there as well because they are a team that is extremely competitive every year and they haven't necessarily gotten worse. If they get Victor Oladipo back healthy, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, if he can stay healthy, uh, then this is going to be a team that is going to be very competitive and might actually win more games than a couple of teams that I just mentioned. But the funny thing about that is that it only leaves one spot. And there was one team that uh, went all out in, in acquiring everyone, Danilo Gallinari. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Milwaukee's number one enemy, is going to be there as well. The Atlanta Hawks have gone all in on the playoffs. And I, I find it so hilarious that second year Trey Young just demanded that this team starts doing stuff around to, to make them a contender. It's like, first of all, you are arguably the worst defender in the whole entire league. So how about you play some defense before you start throwing around uh, demands that the team gets better? But I don't think there's a guarantee the Hawks make the playoffs and that would be pretty funny for mine. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I had brought that up a couple of times in the last few days and received quite a bit of pushback in that, are we sure? I mean, you're starting to see some people say the Hawks are a top six team. Like, are we sure the Hawks are even a playoff team? Would it's, I be shocked? It's a weird fit to me, man. Like, I, like right, I look at right. it and I say Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari. I, I just don't yeah, know how it all works. You're going to score, but I mean, yeah. they're going to have a lot of 122 to 123 games. Um, I mean, would I be shocked? No, but I think Atlanta's ceiling is at best a seven where yeah. if one of those teams is injured or if things just don't go right for one of those teams and they have the year from hell, then maybe Atlanta can move past them. But those six that you named Indiana, I think are all far superior to Atlanta. So, um, I mean, 
look, there's a good chance that Atlanta is your eight seed that you can't rule it out. But and I've always been an advocate of when you spot a mistake, move on from it quickly. So I understand this kind of contradicts that, but it also is just so puzzling to me this entire offseason that Atlanta had where they're just seeking out offense. So with Trey Young, with Danilo, you know you're going to score. I mean, Bogdanovich isn't a terrible defender, but I'm not sure how it fits, as you pointed out. And the other thing is they're basically punting last year and saying all the things we did, we moved up in the draft, we had two first-round picks, doesn't matter anymore. We're bringing in guys that are going to play ahead of them, theoretically. And what does it mean for John Collins, too? Yeah, it's a strange mix. I'm very curious to see what they do with uh, a lot of the young talent they have. They have a lot of guys now that are going to be squeezed out of that lineup. But that seems like a good way to leave this podcast here. Otherwise, we'll keep on talking forever. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I think that the Bucks got better again with the addition of Drew Holiday. We've spoke about that. Uh, if you missed any of the conversation about Drew Holiday, please go back and listen to Friday's podcast with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans. It was a fascinating listen to hear him go into uh, what Drew Holiday can bring this Bucks team uh, in detail. But let's leave it there. Later on this week, we are going to have a mailbag as well. So keep an eye out for a tweet taking your questions. Some of you guys have already hit me up uh, via Twitter and the DMs. You can do that as well. If 280 characters is not enough to get your question out, feel free to get in the DMs and send me a question and we will read it out on the podcast when Frank gets back. Uh, Justin, it's interesting. Like I said, the state of the East right now is very interesting. The Bucks still the favorites to get out of the East. A lot of that uh, could change depending on what happens with some other key player personnel moves. And as you sort of hinted to, James Harden might be the key to all this. But it's not, it wasn't a disastrous offseason for the Bucks. I think they're still very well positioned. Yeah. And um, I, I was just looking at the uh, win total over unders and saw the Bucks have the highest win total in the East. And at first, I had to do a double take because the total was 49. And I thought, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. no team in the East, you have winning 50 games, huh? And then remembered, oh, yeah, well, lop 10 games off the schedule. <laughs> so that's that factors in there as well. And the last thing I'll say about what we just said, uh, if one of the trades we've heard discussed quite a bit, if the Wizards can turn John Wall into, into Russell Westbrook, I think Washington would finish ahead of Atlanta in the East. Hmm. It's interesting. I haven't thought about that. So I'm going to leave it on that note. But that, that's really interesting. But for all the listeners, uh, hit us up at Locked On Bucks. Who are you most fearful of in the East? Or are you even confident that the Bucks are going to be able to take that next step and get to the NBA Finals with the moves they have made? Uh, that's been Justin Garcia. Like I said at the top, you can catch him on the Bucks Radio Network. And games are just a couple of weeks away here. We know the preseason schedule uh, is about to start as well. So we are now under two weeks away from watching Bucks basketball. It's hard to believe, but you'll be able to hear Justin, uh, as I mentioned, with the Bucks Radio Network. You'll be able to hear me on this podcast Monday to Friday. Uh, make sure you stay safe out there. Keep on Giannis Watch, and we'll speak to all you guys tomorrow.